Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New game day shirt. Boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W. But you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction, eligibility, and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member. FDIC. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Bedford, New York, in the crap part of West Hollywood, California, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. We back! Like the Crimson Tide. How are you doing, Dave? <laughs> oh, Roger, it's you in a good mood. Everton haven't played yet this weekend. I, I wouldn't say I'm in a good mood. I'm marginally better than Kendall Roy if I was to, <laughs> if I was to handicap my mood right now. Oh. i got to say, football bringing me a lot of sadness at the moment. And one of the saddest parts of my weekend, football news of true darkness and challenge this weekend, Jesse Marsh coaching pathfinder from Racine, Wisconsin, was, well, they said it was mutually agreed, but I think that's German for fired by RB Leipzig (laughs) after just 14 bloody games of the season. Yes, the team have criminally underperformed, but after selling a slew of the best players over the summer, including Canate and Upa Meccano, Mosh's philosophy and the players, let's just say, he had at his disposal did not gel. This was a quick hook, Dave, three months in. Pretty devastating. I do like the idea uh, that the German interpretation of mutual is slightly different. We uh, have mutually agreed with Poland that they shall be annexed. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Oh, my God. We always say football is a results-based business and a cruel one. But the thing I worry about, this is actually bigger than Marsh. It's a deeply conservative business. And my big picture fear following Bob Bradley's similar spectacularly quick flame out at Swansea City, to which the Welsh Valleys are still filled with song of sad lamentation. American coaching, though, we're living in a time where we're really lauding this wave of young American talent. They've, they've shattered the stigma about American players, but the last aspect of the game on the men's side that remains deeply, deeply, deeply stigmatised in the football world, and you could argue, and I would argue, stigmatised for a reason, there's no doubt American men's coaching lags behind the rest of the world. It's the last aspect of our men's game, which is is a backwater. The most famous American coach all time globally, Davo. It's Ted Lasso, probably actually the best-known American male football figure of all time, if we're being honest. And I don't know if you know this, Dave, he's a fictional character. Yeah, no, it is. It's a challenge. However, as uh, regular listeners know, I do believe in free markets, and sometimes free markets behave in in uh, perverse ways. Uh, Rog, not every great coach in the world is German, even though that's what you would believe now by looking at the, you know, the top clubs in uh, Britain and in Europe. 
Um, it, it'll equal out. If there are good American coaches coming through, there are so many coaching vacancies because the vast majority of teams lose. The vast majority of teams finish outside the top five, outside the top six of their domestic leagues. There is so much turnover. American coaches, if they continue to improve, will find roles at clubs. You know, I will say I, I love you, and we'll talk about the way a free market is acting perversely in one second. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know, in MLS, there's a lot of laughter amongst uh, a segment of the fan base about how poorly many European coaches do when they arrive in the slightly Star Wars cantinery, jerry-rigged um, culture from a coaching perspective that is MLS, has lots of hidden challenges yeah. that European coaches just don't understand. But I will say, without that cross-pollination of ideas, you know, you look at how English coaching has actually improved because English coaching has been a backwater. Mm-hmm. English coaching has improved because of the cross-pollination with the best ideas um, from Europe and, and, and really you know, beyond Europe, a lot of South American um influence too and without it england would have remained a coaching backwater it's what america needs now and jesse marsh skilled man proved that at salzburg may he rebound hard and fast and go again before long but when you talk about perverse free market (laughs) behavior (laughs) in lovely and slightly surreal news this morning chris armas last fired by toronto in mls was appointed by Ralph Ragnick as one of his Manchester United assistants this morning. They have a one American coaching door closes, Jesse Marsh, and another opens. How many former Long Island Rough Riders players are there in the Premier League, David? Not enough. Not yes, enough. we've always said that. We've always <laughs> said that. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to be bullish, as we'll talk about when we break down a Manchester United game about double R. But this was a move uh, which is more Red Bully than anything. I mean, Powerball, Chris Armas. Talk about weird random selections, definitely um, inspired by the Red Bull pipeline. Last seen as Toronto's manager, lasting a whole 11 games, uh, including a 7-1 loss to DC United, largest loss in club history before he was fired. At Richard McDo, 16, tweeted us to say, taking two winning MLS teams and transform them into utter losers. Since this seems to be the long-term business plan for Manchester United, he's a perfect fit. (laughs) America. Oh, too much. Uh, Rog, I know that we don't talk uh, to some uh, observers. We don't talk about MLS enough, which, of course, would be the entire podcast would only be about MLS and nothing else. Uh, But I do want to say this weekend, my son George, Traveled to a road game, went and watched the conference finals in Philadelphia. He's become a passionate NYCFC fan. Went with his mate Ben, went to a road game, no doubt singing the opposition songs, taking the flack from the Philadelphia fans. And, Had a uh, fight with a cheesesteak. <laughs> what are you looking at? You want to go? You want to go? Two 10 year old boys uh, traveled on the road to go and see NYCFC play Philadelphia, having begged their parents to let them go, um, and saw a great victory with a, uh, a goal towards uh, right at the very end of regulation to take NYCFC through to the final against Portland. That and Chelsea winning the Women's FA Cup final. What a weekend of football, Rog. How old is your son? Ten. Older than 
nine out of the 11 players Philadelphia Union I know, actually failed They had some COVID issues. They had some this COVID is like, issues. This is they had they some COVID some... issues. You can Fair. only beat the team put in front of you. Some COVID issues. I think, didn't they have 11 players out with COVID and yet the game still went ahead? <laughs> they played against the ref and two assistants. That could be hard in MLS, Rog. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've got to say, Philadelphia, I, I feel very, you know, Philadelphia sports fans coming from Liverpool, I feel, I feel a deep, deep connection. I adore the city. Obviously, shout out to uh, to Jim's Cheesesteaks. And I will just say for you, I feel absolutely gutted for all of you, your team, your youngsters, your third string. Oh, did you absolutely proud and just the tenacity, the resilience, the wonder and the surreality of the times we're living in, that, I, I, all I can say is I feel your pain. We should say, though, MICFC, Rog, the first time they've reached uh, MLS Cup in their, in their storied history. I, don't, I think they're probably the first team who play on some rhomboid, trapezoid, uh, non-parallel line field has ever qualified for a domestic final uh, in their own country. Uh, just congratulations. I know it's going to be so weird for them when they play in Portland <laughs> and they find out that the pitch is actually rectangle. They're going to be like, what is this monstrosity? How can we be expected to play on this? Yeah. yeah. It's not football, David. Yeah. It's just straight lines. Oh, take some adjustment. Okay, Rog, a quick piece of business out of Men in Blazers World Headquarters. The Men in Blazers show is back. Oh, we're sorry. Tonight, right about the time this podcast is being released, 5.30pm Eastern Time, with special guest Jared Harris. And we also take a look back at the 2003-2004 Arsenal Invincibles. Oh, I do love Jared Harris. Chernobyl fans, God, I know you adore him too. And Arsenal fans, this show is for you. Vieira, Henri... Bergkamp and double the FCC daily allowance of Puffer Jacket. It's a celebration. We revel in one of the most remarkable seasons of club football ever, ever seen. If you don't catch it on television, find it on Peacock. All of our archive is there. You will not be sorry unless you're a Spurs fan. Oh, Rog, how about foundation fans as well? Uh, Every show from this season, every Men in Blazers show, is available on Peacock and NBC's Premier League hub. Or you can just search Men in Blazers. And a quick mention for our new Men in Blazers pod special with the Miami Heat's Duncan Robinson, presented by Camarena Tequila. A wonderful conversation that touches on everything from hoops to Duncan's beloved Manchester City to David Foster Wallace. Check it out now. And a thank you to the GFOPs at Camarena Tequila for helping us bring these extended pod interviews to life. Rog, can we get a tour? Oh, we certainly can. I want to raise my first third bud of the day to Chelsea Football Club, who won the Women's FA Cup yesterday with a resounding 3-0 win over Arsenal on a day of true historic significance. The final marked 100 years since the Football Association, the English footballing power that be, banned women. Yes, banned women from playing football, saying the game is, quote, unsuitable for females and ought not to be encouraged. The women's game was only reinstated in 1970. I always find this almost impossible to believe. So yesterday's game was 50 years since the trophy was first contested. And on this day, Chelsea were magnificent, powered by Fran Kirby and the impudent Sam Kerr, a forward line known and feared as Kirby. Check out Sam Kerr's second goal, the oh, chip. What a goal. At High Speed Chef's Kiss. It's on our Instagram. Chelsea 
now hold the domestic treble of the FA Cup, League Cup and Women's Super League. It's incredible what they're doing on both sides of the women's game and the men's game. And I raise my Bud Fan Blood Fam to the growth of the women's game around the world in general, but in our country of birth in particular, David. To watch 40,000 pack fans watching an incredible quality of football and mark the day the game was once banned at the same time, it's an incredible reminder to take none of this for granted. One of the journalists I follow on Twitter, just her delight at being on the tube, heading off to Wembley, and just so many kids, girls and boys, wearing Arsenal and Chelsea scarves going off to that game. Just super excited for the spectacle. Wonderful stuff. It's the future, future, future. Okay, to the football. Man United won. Crystal Palace nil. United kick off the Ralph Rangnick era with a scrappy win over the Palace. Evidence of the Germans' desire to turn his team into, quote, pressing monsters was evident early on with United attempting to apply the clamps in the Palace half. Despite hitting their daily step count in the first half alone, they wouldn't have anything to show for it until the 77th minute when Fred, yes, Rog, Fred, unleashed a right-footed stonker, yes, we're talking Fred, into the top corner. United win two league games in a row for the first time since September. And hail Ralph, not you, Hasnall. Rangik at the wheel. And so a new era dawns. How do you follow an act like Michael Carrick, who retired invincible (laughs) after coaching Ronaldo to crack 800 goals for club and country, leaving his plucky underdog United in eighth place before kickoff. Double R took over, attempted to bring a sense of tactical order to Manchester United, self-inflicted brand first chaos. And we all tuned in to see if he can Tuchel, essentially. It's now a verb, Ronaldo, Bruno, Sancho and co. This undoubted brain in a bottle. who become a cult hero in footballing hipster circles by transforming mid-level Bundesliga clubs with Viz Vision. And his total control. And could he do the same with a powerhouse, megawatt, politically complex global culture? Or would he end up like Ned Stark, a man of principle, naively being undone in King's Landing? And we all know how quickly and savagely that ended. Remember, this is a man who has only actually managed a team for two of the last 10 seasons. Footballing director for most of that, irrespective. One big picture talking point we should touch upon, Davo, before we dive into the game, seeing as this is our big picture coaching special, Premier League, which has long been seen as the most watched football league in the world, with its cut and thrust and passionate football, has now become the centre of football's tactical coaching alphas, gathering every single major coach. You know, they used to be scattered across the Bundesliga, La Liga and Serie A, as well as the Premier League. Now, they've all been united. Avengers assemble. Pep, Klopp, Tuchel, Conte, Bielsa, Ralph Rangnick, Dean Smith, the undoubted centre of coaching. We are living in a golden age of tactics, David. Broj, it's like, how on earth do I not get mentioned in that whole thing? Um... So yeah, no, it is. It's incredible. I mean, the 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 level of coaches. I mean, go back twenty years and you know read the names of the coaches in the Premier League. It is unbelievable stuff. But it doesn't change the the bottom line, which is that only one team can win the league. Only you know four qualify for the Champions League. Another couple get into the Europa League. There is still going to be you know so much loss and so much heartbreak and so much turnover and that's what I find actually more entertaining that you have these enormous coaches, you've got these enormous personalities, these enormous success stories and inevitably several of them are going to come into the league plus by 
God, the former players who are coming in with these huge profiles, the Lampards, the Gerrards, and, you know, the majority are going to fail. And the game will evermore be about the tiniest slim margins, as we will discuss in this one. Yeah. Rangnick unfurling an unchained side from the team that dropped Arsenal 3-2 in a helter-skelter Thursday clash with Diogo Dalos and Tellez at fullback. But in the first half, to me, fascinated for your read, you know, it did look like a very different team. They began by pressing, closing in, charging in whenever they lost the ball, tried to win it right back with an energy and an ardour with Sancho. Really, the pick of the bunch, revelling almost in a chance to start all over again. What did you see? I saw a team trying to impress their new manager. Uh, not only with their pressing, but also with their organisation, how vocal they were being with each other uh, across the whole park, um, trying to play more as a cohesive unit rather than as a, a team of individuals. Um, still not really exploding. They certainly went close a few times, but um, but they certainly looked like an improved squad. Yeah, we've got to remember... They'd only had the blink of an eye, one session on the training ground with their new leader. And watching United press here, you always knew that they'd be susceptible to the Zaha-led Palace counter, which meant United were both potent yet vulnerable in that first half. Ralph barked out his orders. He set his team out in a football hipster-loving 4-2-2-2, played direct football when he could, spanking the occasional diagonal in behind Palace as Vieira stood Alongside him here in the Stratford end saying Vieira, whoa, he gave Giggsy the ball and Arsenal won fuck all. Oh, with those rejuvenated football stars as managers, we get to hear those chants all over again as a nostalgic wave every time I hear them. And we talked last week about a real barometer for Ralph and his progress was how Ronaldo would behave. You know, would he be a coach killer? or an obedient squad player desperate to listen to his new manager's ideas, you know, uh, receptive to them. And in this one, first half especially, played like a man on a mission, like a Portuguese John McLean, chased, hurried, surged, pressed, set the tone by example, tried to get his hair gel on everything, David. <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so one game in, he, he looks like he's really playing hard for his manager. We'll have to yeah, see. Yeah, let's exaggerate. Let's yeah. exaggerate. Let's hyperbolic this on. But anyway, talking about um, hyperbolic approaches to Ronaldo, I do love how broadcasters continue to hype up the suspense when Ronaldo is about to take a free kick as if he's still a lethal set-piece king. I think he scored once for Juventus in three seasons. He was once transformative, but how long ago was that? A while. <laughs> it was a while. <laughs> By the way, I'd, I always love to know what Bruno's thinking when he watches Ronaldo like do his signature. <laughs> Everything there, just like because <laughs> at that point he's thinking in Portuguese, which is a far more advanced yeah. way to think about CR seven. Your Palace defended well; they were robust. They even pretended that they guarded set pieces before in this one, which was astonishing. And the more United turned up their intensity, deeper Palace sat. I was fascinated to see what happened after half-time in that first Ralph team talk. And well, got to say, second half, United's legs just seemed to go. Play became disjointed. Pressing without conditioning to the press. It's a cruel game, David. It's like trying to run a marathon without training. It's like only producer J-Dubs would do that, right? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with the press is that you have to continue to do it, continue to do it, continue to do it, continue to do it. And the second you start getting impressed with how well you were pressing, you're not pressing anymore. And then you just get done. Look, I have a feeling that if Crystal Palace were on better form coming into this one, which they haven't been, you know, I think they'd, um, you know, only got one point in the last three, lost two on the on the on the spin. Um, they might have ask more questions of Man United. But I think this was the right team for, for for Rangnick to be playing in his first game at home. Yeah, but as the second half rolled on, United started to look a little more ragged. Old Trafford came quieter, more anxious. You know, I remember Klopp taking over Liverpool. If you were watching back then, you remember it took his squad at least a season to get used to his intensity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, United, second half, just four completed passes into the Palace penalty area. Double R threw on the young legs. Anthony Alanga, 19-year-old Swede, got his first Premier League appearance of the season. And if you dropped an alien down to watch an Ole game and the second half of United, David, as a resident alien expert, you know, a, a Gareth Bale believer, would that alien have known the difference and spotted one team that were, quote, papering over the cracks and the other as a squad infused with new ideas and forward momentum? Um, yeah, possibly. Just to clarify, Rog, I, uh, aliens are just part of my simulation, so I'm not even sure that they're aliens. We're all part of the same... With the even same... aliens have no free will. <laughs> yeah, without any doubt, aliens have no That's... free will. And we have no free will other than to either believe in them or not believe in them based on how you were wired during the simulation, Rog. I'm not a human. I'm a number. But, you know, <laughs> pa- pa- Palace had an incredible moment. 74th minute, after a corner, and are you, brother... Rolled the ball agonisingly right across the face of United's goal with oh. no final touch. He really should have scored. And if he had, we would be sliding doors a different narrative after this game, wouldn't we? Yeah, it would be, It would be. oh, Rangnick's got a lot of work to do to change the nature of this team. He can't do it. They can't even do it against Palace at home. Yeah, without a doubt, it would be different. But that is not the way the simulation was drawn up. Yes, because reprieve, gratitude, wonder, Mason Greenwood with some, it can only be described as either happy feet or Salah S. Sometimes I don't know the difference. Twinkle toes <laughs> in the box as part of the assist. Teeing up who, Davo? Fred. For an ing- Fred. Fred. Yeah. Fred. 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 Yeah. It was of course Fred. it had it to be. It was Fred. Yeah. You know Dunk. who steps up and hits the long range stonker into the top bins? Fred. Yep, and by the way, it turns out that one we all laughed at when he effed up against Chelsea, that was just Fred calibrating. (laughs) I mean, this was an exquisitely measured right-footed chip into the corner with his wrong foot, with his chocolate leg. Audacious. It was. It was. We're Fred's team now, David. <laughs> I, saw you I, mean, I laughed out loud when I saw that on Twitter. I energy, loved it. energy, Fred. Energy is little dance. He ain't from Dallas, but he's D Town boogie. Get on the Fred train, people. Right? Get yeah. on the Fred train. I mean, look, Fred as, train. As Fred has pressed further forward, yeah, um, he has started to look like a very different footballer. I mean, we True. mustn't forget he is Brazilian. And you remember when we were in Brazil and we would. We would go to the beach down there on Copacabana, yes, holding hands in our swimsuits, and um, we'd see, we'd see, you know, just as far as you could see, men playing beach football, volleyball, whatever that game was, and just with insane levels of skill. Any one of them you felt would be better than whoever Brazil were playing up front in that World Cup. It was un. 
unbelievable stuff. And Fred is a player of sublime. We skill. saw dogs. We <laughs> saw dogs doing keep yuppies on that beach. He honestly could have been playing. So, so to make it into the Brazil squad team. Yeah out of Brazil with the number of insane footballs. You have to be so bloody good. And the idea that we, Davo and Rog, have occasionally laughed at Fred as, and questioned yep. his skill or his ability level to be able to do amazing things with a football. He is Brazilian, Rog. He is wired to score goals like that. The the dogs that he's keeping out of the team. By the way, when I say dogs, there's dogs that could do keepy-uppies on the beach on Copacabana. I'm trying to train Martin Scorsese. Um, I do think there's a future um, for that gentleman. But on one hand, you know, we've got to say Fred much maligned. He's actually had very effective games over the past month. Yeah. And he is going to be a true workhorse for Ralph, you know, linking the midfield with the attacking core, as you say, pressing further forward, starting to show ability in the number eight position. United still cry out. That need for the number six is is still as loud and as desperate as it was um, before ball was kicked this season. That need's not gone anywhere. I feel like Fred's biggest mistake in this footballing nation, as you say, Davo, Brazil, where there's a poetry around both football and the naming, um, not just the footballers of everybody, you know, Garincha, the little Wren, um, just uh, so much romance that he chose Fred. Oh, great you name. Know, but yeah, but you know, Fred. It's a, yeah, United currently being saved by two dudes named Ralph and Fred. They sound like, <laughs> Ralph and Fred sound like United version that they, they uh, of Bert and Ernie. Quickly searching Brazilian footballers named Ralph because there must be a Ralph somewhere plying his trade yeah, in the Austrian I mean, third division. The, the the only name worse than Fred for a footballer are the half dozen <sighs> Brazilian footballers have been cursed to be named Everton, who every time they <laughs> every, every time they come on on a losing game, I get them people tweet. Of course, uh, that team lost. They brought on uh, two players named Everton. Oh wait a minute, Rog, this just in. Uh, Ralph, Brazilian soccer player, Ralph Mercado Diaz, born 7th of March, 1998, uh, commonly known as Ralph, is a Brazilian footballer who plays for Boa Vista on loan from Atletico Mineiro as a midfielder. There you is go. There a, is there a, two questions, is there a Brazilian footballer named Benny? <laughs> okay, just like checking. Me. Brazilian footballer Benny. Because there was there was an incredible Brazilian footballer named Roger Rogério, the goalkeeper, who, the goalkeeper who really could score free kicks. An incredible go YouTube Rogério Seni right now if you're bored. While Davo releases the only thing, Benny in Brazil. The only thing that came up was Benny Falharber and the headline, which is wonderful. <laughs> Benny Falharber treats his teammates to a Brazilian dinner. That's a YouTube video from September fifth, two thousand seven. Uh, you know, if Benny, any of you Benny, are interested, Benny Falharber, Benny Falharber technically. Technically, it was in the born in Rio. God, he must have played with some dogs on the beach in his day. A lot of love, <laughs> a lot of love suddenly pouring out of United. We love you, United. We do, Bello de Jubilant, Stretford End again. They are doling out the love. I must say, they flung out an Ole tribute Tifu against Arsenal, which I just found fascinating in an effort to preserve uh, that man's legendary status and almost erase the trauma um, of his tenure as manager. Yeah, yeah. When I saw that Tifo, quick aside, 
you realise with the firing of a legend comes some guilt. It's like if you've read the great novel Perfume by Patrick Suskind, where the crowd tear apart a murderer at the end of the book and then they feel saddened by their actions and they tell themselves that they tore... Uh, tore him apart limb from limb but they did so out of love that is what you know I feel like the United faithful are grappling with but I digress 1-0 we were capped United uh, the first 90 minutes in a minute but great performance by your side piece Davo Palace no points but surely they can draw courage from an organised diligent performance in which they to me impress for long stretches yeah I mean Palace have played very well in lots of games this season and ended up with nothing or not as much as they deserved out of it. And I think, yes, normally I think you'd be looking at that and thinking, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna draw some strength in that. I think the problem is, is in this in this season's mid-table, which uh is a bleak mid-table, Rog, referring to my favorite Christmas carol of all time in the bleak midwinter, it gets to be winter very, very quickly at the bottom of that mid-table. You know, there's a lot of teams who are just looking below them right now and and very worried about getting sucked into that relegation battle. (sighs) Essentially, places 5 to 20, you really refer to. That's how insane and compressed the bottom half of the table is. But for United, Dave, double R said post-game, in my first press conference, I knew there were things we needed to improve on to get clean sheets, to get control of the game. What my players showed was more than I expected, to be honest. I was positively surprised by the physical state and intensity. I thought it was extremely high tempo, high intensity, always on the front foot. So he was pleased. But what did you think of first blush, first Ralph, first evidence? Um... I, uh, you know, I watched his, didn't watch his post-match conference, watched his pre-match conference. And I like his manner. I like how, um, I like to like how no nonsense he is. He seems to have a philosophy. He's going to follow it. He's not trying to make dramatic change early. I like the fact that he played the same lineup again, but also like the fact that he bought on a langer, which was a surprise to, you know, a lot of people bringing him off the bench. Um, and obviously the players have turned up and played for him. He's got a fantastic reputation. Um, so, you know, the, the players just in terms of their social media, which you assume they may have had some part in writing, but maybe at Man United, that isn't true. Um, but they seem impressed. They turned out and played for him. And I think he's the right kind of mentality for that team. Yeah, the evidence of the first 30 minutes, United played as a team on the same page. Combinations, a press, an ideology. That, that is huge steps forward. But on the evidence of the next 40 minutes, we learn it's incredibly hard to sustain that intensity, that tempo. Actually needs weeks of pre-season training to condition both the idea into the players. But more importantly, and this is where I'd worry if I was a United fan, you know, the fitness that the whole squad needs. You, know, you can do it for one match. Can you do that for half a season? And it's not an old man's game, the pressing game. But I want to be positive. I really do. I feel a joy for the United fans in my life. I sense their joy. Uh, So I'm going to leave my last word at optimistic settings. A first clean sheet at Old Trafford in 235 days, which is incredible. And you've got to think, if one training session can turn United into a more cohesive attacking unit, what could a couple of days of Ralph do? Uh, And a small detail I don't think uh, has been really discussed enough reports that Ralph will receive a $11.3 million bonus if he convinces Dortmund and Norway striker 
Erling huh. Haaland to sign for Manchester United. That, that, that would be a true game changer in the balance of power. Yeah. Uh, okay, Rog, we've got to get to it. Phew, not the best way for me to start off a weekend. West Ham 3, Chelsea 2, the early kickoff uh, on Saturday. The league leaders left holding an L in this Rock'em Sock'em London derby, wearing their black and yellow Pittsburgh Steelers tribute kits. The away side took the lead in the 28th minute when Thiago Silva headed home from a corner. But on 40 minutes, Jorginho's live grenade of a back pass, needless, led to a Edouard Mendy taking down of Jared Bowen and Manuel Lanzini levelled from the spot. Poor um, Mendy has never even got close to a penalty. Mason Mount and Bowen then traded goals that Kendall Roy would have approved of. Bangers only, but in the 87th minute, <laughs> with the score tied at two, Arthur Masuaku unveiled a crot chasse, deflected crot chasse for the ages, a ball in from the left wing that caught Mendy creeping and won the game for the Irons. Chelsea lose their second of the season, dropped to third. Yeah, hard to believe before kickoff. West Ham... No wins in three, spluttering into this one. Chelsea also wobbling a little bit. Disappointing performance. Midweek outshot by Watford. Despite that, no starting spot for BigRom.com. And for the off, this was a congested affair in which West Ham were largely happy to leave Chelsea with the ball as they swept around the field like a wave until smacking against West Ham's back line which was like a muscled harbour wall. Chelsea had barely worked the keeper until the 29th minute. Corner, West Ham, switch off. Thiago Silva, what a unit, Davey. Yeah. Essentially, big... West, essentially Chelsea, West Ham, West Ham. Yeah, gets to the ball. Yeah, it was a Suchek kind of goal. He, uh, you know, got up to it, nodded it down into the ground as he taught as a young kid. It's the hardest thing for the goalkeeper to do, to play it off the bounce. Um, I never really understood that, but... Um, as a tennis player. But uh, anyway, nodded into the ground and, you know, Fabianski doesn't get anywhere near it. Yeah. And then Chelsea blinks. Jorginho putting Mendy under pressure with a back pass. The Mendy oddly dawdled over, flapping through Bowen. Upstep Lanzini, first start of the season, smashed the gift home. A little bit of trash talking to Reese James. No Chelsea clean sheet three games in a row, Dave. What's happening? Yeah, I mean, look, my overall thing on this is that if this were a sort of a one-off loss, you would sort of chalk it up, say, bonkers game, insane game, London derby, this kind of thing happens. Um, but this does come on the heels, as you say, of the midweek performance against Watford that they were very, very lucky to win. And those disappointing drop points against Burnley and against Manchester United. And, you know, these defensive mistakes, the defensive mistakes that haunted Frank Lampard's reign at... Uh, Chelsea Rogers in the team's DNA um, starting to creep in. But we didn't know that at the time, though. They had suddenly momentarily seemed human, but they quickly reverted to play football rip from the gods. Ziek floating a deep cross from the left towards Mason Mount on the edge of the box. Dave, you can describe what happened. I mean, it was a, a ball most players would have brought down to control. But what followed, all I can say is there was no Englishman in English history that could do that in the, uh, up to the 1980s. Yeah, I mean, look, just Mason Mount, I still think the most underrated uh, player in the Premier League because he's Need just Need a better been... name like Fred. Yeah, he's a... Mason, uh, just go by one name. He, uh, it was just superb to hit that first time on the volley, um, put his laces through it and 
beats the keeper at the near post and lots of non-goalkeepers saying, oh, he doesn't want to get beaten there. He'll be embarrassed about it. But, you know, you have to cover both sides. And uh, he got got beaten by just the speed of the ball and just unexpected it being a volley. It was superb. Off his instep. It was really... By the way, I think English footballers should start doing that. The Fred thing. Just be like, Steve, that's my name. (laughs) Tony, Wayne, just one name. I love to make that one name like Jamie. I mean, God, I hope this catches on. By the way, I made a documentary about goalkeepers for NBC Goalkeeper Union. And that was the one myth that... um, the goalkeepers resented most out of all the side commentators being non-goalkeepers. You rarely have a goalkeeper become a broadcaster. So like myths get written into football commentating and they're all like the goalkeeper not wanting to be being as near post. That is just like a, every goalkeeper I interviewed, I interviewed four of them. They were like, that is just like utter BS that's just been passed on from one broadcaster. We don't even think like that. What what you said is true. They hate to be beaten at either post. Uh, but that is one of the great myths uh, of of goalkeeping football, which is perpetrated by the fact that most of Coke were former strikers. But my God, Mace! Oh, God love you, Mace. That's what we're going to call you from now on. Into the second. West Ham, so boy, so resilient. Jared Bowen, some goal. Am I the only one, Davo, who thinks? Cause I've been trying to make this stick and it's not been picking up at all. It's really dismal. Am I the only one who thinks that Jared Bowen looks like English Taylor Twelman if we're playing <laughs> lucky like his? Do you know what? I must have ignored you. If you've been trying to make this stick, this is the first yeah. time I'm aware of you saying this. So I must have been ignoring you uh, completely. The t- the two of them look, whenever I see him, they look so similar. I expect him to just turn around to the television camera off field mic and shout, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are we even doing? I mean, does it, is there no looky likey resemblance there? Yeah, there definitely is. There's definitely some. There's definitely some. God, whatever. Salah, Jota, and uh, and Bowen, or maybe he'll call himself Jared by then. It's going to be a handful uh, as a front three for Liverpool's opponents next season. But I digress. Chelsea needed a response, and we praised all season how their defenders are now responsible for like 41.1% of all their goals. But in the final third in this one, Dave, it didn't matter. You know, you threw up, whatever it was, whether it was Lukaku, you know, Pulisic, whoever, there was so little created. And it's starting to look at it. If your defenders don't score, watching Chelsea, there's no plan B. Yeah. And once again, I think West Ham, I think the player that Chelsea are really missing is Ben Chilwell. Um, Chelsea have to do their work from the wing backs, and they did a very good job on Reese James in this game. Um, very good. And uh, when Chelsea can't get that ball down the wings, when they can't, um, you know, get that extra round, and they did, like early in the game, they were all over West Ham. I mean, they should have scored more than one. Um, I'm sure the XG in this game was 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 still in Chelsea's favour. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm sure it was. But at the end of the game, without a doubt, Lukaku coming on, Pulisic coming on, they weren't really creating anything. Um, and West Ham did look the more dangerous side. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you look at Kante, you look at uh, Kovacic, and without both, they couldn't control the game. In fact, Declan Rice really reveled in the opportunity to stick one on the Boyle club who discarded him in this one. There was a magnificent moment um, where oh, West Ham were forced into a rejig. Zuma limped off. Pablo Fornals came on. Um, really an uncommonly ag- aggressive substitution for the often overly cagey Moyes late in games. And Moyes sent him on with a note for Declan Rice, which uh, let's just call him Declan. 
red, then tucked straight into his undies. What, what do you think that note said? <laughs> I have no idea, but they seem to have a, a terrible difficulty reading David Moy's handwriting. Yeah. God, that's so... God, I, I think this... It probably said, tuck this note into your undies, is probably what it said. <laughs> oh, no, I'd love... I would love to know what what Moisey is writing to just the incredible Declan, um, who was just everywhere doing everything in this game. But well, maybe it just said, feed Masuaku and he will score, Davo, because whatever Moyes wrote... What what happened? How do you understand it? How do you understand it against Mendy? Cross or shot, Davo? Was it an all-time chasse? No, it was a freak goal. And it was a deflection. Um, came off Ruben Loftus-Cheek's foot. Um, and therefore, just... I don't know where it would have ended up if it hadn't. I don't think it would have... I think it would have just gone safely into Mendy's hands. And it took that just weird little flick in the air that put that topspin on it and put it into the uh, inside post. And I think you can... Fault the keeper if you want, if you've never been a keeper. But I think that's a, he was completely caught. He he had to be imagining a cross at that point. He had to be covering um, outside and it just took him at the near post. A freak goal. I kind of say Mendy had an aggressive starting position uh, from which he never recovered. He did see the ball late and then moved at the speed of Pickford and Chelsea. I think, well, how many goals have they conceded all season? Was it like six? Yeah, three in this game. Let's just say Mendy had a game that will be filed under C for complacent. Delirium, like Alabama, beating Georgia, but with bubbles. And a massive win for David Moyes. We've talked about this a lot over the years, a lot this season even. He's had moral victory losses against one big six team after another. But here, tenacious... Really, a tenacious collective in the image of their manager found a magnificent way to win despite losing their entire first choice back four. That's what's incredible about this performance yeah, by the final whistle. And what I mean, what did you see? They've beaten Liverpool and Tottenham at home this season. But to me, this was a true signature victory for West Ham. It's also massive because West Ham had dipped a little bit in form since their phenomenal start and you know, this shows real resilience. I mean, London derbies do have their own, you know, you talk a lot about derbies having their own ecosystem. London derbies are just these teams, wherever they are in the table, whatever's going on, the London teams, and there are so many of them in the Premier League, go at each other. Even the teams out of London, Brighton Crystal Palace games are just, they got an edge to them. Um, so you've got to throw the, the form book out of the window a little bit when these teams play each other. But uh, impressive from David Moyes. West Ham are a team you just love to watch right now. They play with such aggression. Mikel Antonio is just a wonder to watch. He just torments out muscles. There's one Conquer point Cap in this Sunday. game. He, he pushed Callum Hudson-Odoi about 15 yards with just a tiny drop of the shoulder. It was just amazing to watch. They, they are such a singular team, West Ham, in the same way that passenger last week on the Delta flight from Syracuse to Atlanta who refused to stop breastfeeding her hairless cat. I just love that story. And that's I thought, well, that's West Ham. They just keep doing their thing. But Chelsea, Tuchel, spend the whole game angrily swatting bubbles. My defence is, is kaput. A potential fleeting five-put lead at the top of the table. Just a chance to have that frittered away. And when your defence doesn't score, you falter. But when that defence has a glitch in the matrix, Davo, 
It's lights out. We said we talked about missing Kante and Kova. Tuchel said post game, no idea when Kante will return from knee injury. Kova out at least a month. Jorginho playing with hip pain. Saul has been a bust. Chilwell missing. Romelu not fit yet. I mean, how worried are you? Are you like good winnable run of games coming up? Timo Pulisic, Ross Barkley, Chair Ruben Loftus cheek. Time for you to step up. Yeah, man, a little bit. I mean, and. Because I am petty and still bitter, um, I suppose that there's part of me that sees, you know, a a realistic interpretation of Tuchel and Chelsea uh, rather than his constant beatification. I see it as as inevitable. I said at the beginning of the season, I don't think they're as good as Liverpool and City, and I think City is still the best team in football. Um, and uh, you know, the defensive lapses that happened under Lampard, these players are still going to make those kind of mistakes. Jorginho has certainly um, gone a little backwards this season, both for his country and for his club. Um, I don't know. I, I sort of feel like now we've got to see, you know, Tuchel, the, you know, some of the polish has worn off. And now I think we're going to really see, you know, what he's made of. These are going to be a few tough weeks for him over the Christmas yeah. period. It's got to crack the Romelu Lukaku tactical problem up top and get him the service that he needs to, you know, be the cheat code he was meant to be when he arrived. But at the end of the day, to lay this all on Chelsea, I think it's to do West Ham a great disservice. Their team was organised, disciplined, was relentless. And on this day, God, West Ham fans, you deserve your joy. Wolves, nil. Liverpool won. Heroic defending from Bruno Lages, men, including Connor taking one right in the Cody's from Diego Jota's point-blank shot. <laughs> but in the dying embers, a man you may have heard of, Rog, substitute Divock Origi, found a crease in the Wolves' defence and smashed one past Jose Sarr to scoop the points for the visitors, who move up to second place. At least you'll have Wolves fans to keep you company at your Origi support group meetings now, Rog. Yeah, but with Barca fans and Spurs fans, come join us, Wolves fans. We all still meet in a church basement to <laughs> anonymously discuss our traumas. But I digress. You know, this game, Liverpool win and go temporarily top. Those were the stakes for the Diogo Jota Memorial Derby. And Wolves compact seem less interested in winning it. You know, shots on goal. Shots of any kind were really not their thing, but they worked so hard to smother Liverpool. Jota, who had the winner in this fixture last season, missed a couple of chances as a series of valiant last-ditch tackles kept Salah off the board. In the second half, Liverpool really became Liverpool in name only. It became a fairly physical, robust um, game of just a feisty game, mesmerising shots that Liverpool normally smashed home. They hesitated, final balls just off. There was that amazing moment you talked about in the introduction where Wolves goalkeeper saw whiffed at a clearance, let Jota trundle in unguarded on net. Two defenders charged separately back and Diogo had to choose whether to score an open goal or smash a shot at Cody's down belows and Dave out. Yeah, he chose, chose the latter. <laughs> chose he chose the latter. <laughs> what, what? There must be some backstory yeah, to that, amazing. surely. 
Yeah, some Cody oh. beef. At B Anodynes tweeted us to say, Diego Jota looks just like the guy who sold you dime bags in college and was really into Shed 7. Uh, by the end, <laughs> Wolf's magnificent rear guard. But Origi had come on a sub in the 68th minute for only his third appearance of the season. And whenever he comes on, Davo, I always want to tweet out a warning. Watch out for that man. He will destroy you. And so... It bloody proved to be in the most agonising fashion. 94th minute. Yeah, fourth minute into five of added time. Was it Virgil van Dijk who, who yeah. played that long ball through? Yeah, Beautiful Big ball. Doesn't get enough credit for that, his passing. Amazing ball down the flank to Salah, who'd been quiet in the entire game uh, by his standards. Salah with a phenomenal first touch, knocks it forward, gets to the byline. Then you're thinking, uh-oh, and uh, puts it across. Origi takes it with one foot, turns, spins in the box, made it look simple, and it's so oh. hard. Created space for himself and knocks it in with his left foot. Beautiful goal. You knew he was going to score as he pivoted, right? And then just, I got PTSD from that moment. Just, I just, I just dread him. I fear him. I run from him. I mean, Origi, why always me? Dave, titles are one in ballad-worthy moments like that, right? I mean, if this was ancient Greece, someone, Homer, another great one-named Brazilian footballer (laughs) from the Greek era, would have written, there is the heat of love, the pulsing rush of longing, the lover's whisper, irresistible magic to make the sanest man go mad. Yeah, maybe uh, the Liverpool bench got the sense of that. They cleared, like, there seemed to be like 45 Liverpool assistants at that point on the field, hugging Klopp. (laughs) All around the kind of celebration at an away ground that if if anybody did that against Liverpool at uh, at Anfield, you know, Klopp would have talked about the disrespect to the fans and to uh, to the Liverpool legend and all that kind of stuff. But uh, they celebrated wildly um, on the sideline. Maybe they knew that this was a huge moment, potential title winning moment for the club. Yeah, Klopp said post game, Origi was quote a legend. People will write books about him was what he said. And what's fascinating about Origi? Well, lots, actually. He's 26 years of age. Most players would have stropped off to find regular football by now, regular minutes. But Origi seems to love his role, embraces his role. He is, I mean, he's the Mariano Rivera of English football. One pitch, but no one, no one can hit it. And what I marvel about, I really do in all seriousness, the mentality it takes, Dave, to do what he does, to know you're going to trot on just a couple of times a season. I mean, look, look at Jenk Tosin, look at Rondon. Neither man believes he's going to score and they have huge minutes. But Origi, every time he gets his meager minutes, he is the most alpha beta football's ever seen. Yeah, I mean, he's played about 80 combined minutes across four seasons with Liverpool. I don't actually know how long he's been there, but it feels like that's about right. Um and you're right, it's sort of relief pitching. The occasional relief pitcher who comes in for yeah. half an inning and just closes it out. Phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal job. By the way, producer J-Dub says Klopp has uh, just a couple of assistants and then 12 get-back coaches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, GFOP at GBio00 tweeted, football is really just 90 minutes of trying to position Origi to heave a flaming projectile into your village. What a player he is. You know, at Liverpool, a man who netted two goals in that transcendent Champions League semi-final turnaround against Barcelona in 2019, scored in the final, decimated Everton with his bloody shoulder. 
and will actually be ever more important for Liverpool this season when Salah and Mane go off to the African Cup of Nations. Andy Robertson summed up best the feelings Liverpool fans experienced when he tweeted, wow, unreal feeling. That was a scrap, but we always fight to the end. P.S. I'll take my grandkids to visit the Divock Origi statue one day. What a man. Yeah. Wolves also fought to the last minute, Rog. Most teams fight to the last minute. Um, and Wolves, just once again, this is a team that we haven't spoken about enough, have played such good football this season and must feel very hard done by uh, with that result. Watford 1, Manchester City 3. This was the performance of the weekend. The Premier League managerial equivalent of Tony visiting Uncle Junior goes exactly as you would expect. An early Raz header and two terrific goals from the red-hot Bernardo had this one out of reach by the time Cucho Hernandez followed up his own rebound with a put-back dunk on 74 minutes. City go top and they looked just frighteningly good here, Roger. God, the red-hot Bernardo sounds like the kind of sandwich that... I would like to eat. <laughs> I'll have two red up bananas, please. Yeah. With a side of mashed potato and gravy. <laughs> oh, Chelsea's loss handed City an opportunity to go top of the table. They didn't need a second chance. They took less than four minutes to take the lead against the team. They pumped in goals against 30 wins in 13 games. I think 50 goals scored in the process. Helped the Watford. Neither wanted to either touch the ball nor mark a man. A reborn locked and loaded fellow Clark Wallaby aficionado Raz Sterling was gifted the owner Davo. That'll be a red hot Bernardo with Raz Sauce. Yeah, yeah. We talk about Chelsea uh, defenders scoring all those goals and coming out of out of nowhere. With Man City, it's the midfielders. It's this surplus of midfielders and sort of attacking midfielders who just they seem to find one or two in form at all points who can just keep coming at you and scoring against you at will. It's true. It's true. Red hot Bernardo, Foden, Gundogan took turns to charge a Watford. They really did. It was like watching. You know, I always wish I'd been able to see Mingus, Miles Davis, Charlie Parker, you know, play together. Mm. And I, I never will, but watching those three just play midfield, taking turns to rip off one solo after another. I mean, credit Bankman, who kept Watford close for 30 minutes, but his heroics couldn't keep City at base single handedly. Even he had to see twice, too. Bernardo Silva, just, I mean, now a contractual obliged goal. What a season he's having. Almost Mo Salah-S, seven goals now. Audible gasps, shouted Arlo. Audible gasps after that third strike. Shimmy, shimmy, yeah, shimmy, yam, shimmy, yay. It was incredible. Give him the mic so I can take it away. What a goal. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's you know, occasionally messy-like in his ability. The sort of, the, the, the movement changes, the speed of foot, the speed of thought, um, does Messi have a sandwich named after him, like a red hot banana? I, I don't think so, Michael. I don't think so. I don't think so, Michael. One slight, and I mean slight blemish, Jack Grealish, first start since October, playing the false nine for 68 minutes. It was very city Grealish, some lovely touches, craft, guile, but no end product. Just two goals, three assists in his first 17 appearances. You can see he's straining for a goal. Couldn't summon one. And on a lovelier note, a... More menacing note for City's rivals, De Bruyne, also back as a substitute. What a weekend, what a performance, performance of the weekend for yeah. City. Now, if you just check the uh, odds makers, uh, the odds on Man City winning the title, shortening all 
the time. Okay, Tottenham 3, Norwich nil. Spurs make light work of a Norwich team playing in what may be the only colour scheme more offensive than their yellow and green. The highlight, a 10th minute <laughs> cheat code goal from Lucas Moura. Wow, what a finish. Some Davinson Sanchez corner scraps and a late Sonny strike sealed the deal. Spurs win their third on the bounce and move into fifth place. Against Dean Smith's reborn yellow and orange Norwich juggernaut. The Antonio Conte revolution continues. Three Premier League wins in a row. Powered by X on loan Canary. Oliver Skip, who was magnificent in this one. And Sonny. Sonny is like a Korean Magnus Carlsen. And with the wing backs now pushing up to give Spurs width. They are up to fifth, Davo, with a game in hand. That first goal, Lucas Moura. Just what a what a stealth thing of wonder. Just the balance, the control. It was like watching ballet meets football coupled with a murderous finish. Yeah, I mean, he has really stepped up. Um, you know, with Harry Kane's dip in form, uh, Lucas Moura has been their best player this season. You know, Sonny's been a little bit off the boil as well. Um, and just a fantastic goal, a goal that Spurs fans will be re- remembering and rejoicing over for years. Two weeks ago, Conte... Said candidly, after three weeks, I'm starting to understand the situation. It's not simple. At this moment, the level at Tottenham is not so high. But I've got to say, since then, even with a glut of injuries, his ideas, his demands, his level of excellence, bar Harry Kane goals. I mean, the difference is palpable right there. I mean, I I do love it because I think the world is a better place when Spurs are making a fist of it. But my God, Antonio Conte stealthily, quietly doing a job. Yeah, there's energy. Is uh, energy is flowing through the entire Tottenham team again, uh, which is is great to see. Um, and uh, you know, good performances from all over the field. The players definitely seem to be responding to him. Seems familiar. Either responding to him or responding to the lack of condiments. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We'll be back to talk Newcastle's first win of the season and some developing news out of Everton right after this word from our friends at Uncommon Goods. Men and Blazers, we like to believe more is more when it comes to football. Unless Everton are playing, in which case, oh, less is always more. But one thing you can do to enhance even the Everton watching experience is to visit the GFOPs at Prize Picks. They're America's number one fantasy sports app. Test your skills on Prize Picks this season. It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you've got the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Tappity taps, mostly just picking what categories you want Everton players to disappoint you in and smashing the less. Thing I love about Prize Picks is, is how simple it is to use. They're now offering Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this soccer season. No more ferreting around in your wallet for that security code on your credit card that the computer never saves. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Newcastle won. Burnley nil. The tune backed by that lovable startup run by a group of innocent dreamers. Piff. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, Dr- innocent, why, dreamers. Why is everyone dreamers. so down? I think there's so many haters who just don't like success, Dave, right? No, Piff do so much for charity. They were all over the Saudi charity. Arabian Grand Prix this weekend, Rog, just yep. you know, bringing elite international was, motorsports it, to the people. It was, it was funny to see Piff just crop up there. I was surprised. <laughs> I know. Having built the most expensive race circuit <laughs> in the world, just out of Chad Air. Uh, for the children. Yeah, for the children. absolutely. Anyway, their team, Piff's team, Piff Castle, get their first win of the season under new manager Eddie Howe. The difference Saudi in Howe. this one, Callum Wilson pouncing on a Nick Pope fumble, thumping home to send St. James's Park in to delirium. Newcastle move off the bottom of the table. They're sandwiched between Burnley and Norwich in the relegation zone. All of them on 10 points, separated only by goal difference and not that far from the mid-table, Roger. Yeah, when I think of Piff, I do think of Small Business Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're going to get the lads together and and run a Grand Prix. Yep, yep. Children need cars. Let's do it for the children. Piff! Oh, Burnley had lost just once in their past seven Premier League matches, but as soon as talisman striker Maxwell Cornet limped off injured in the 32nd minute, you knew their hopes had gone with him. And Newcastle took the lead, courtesy of a Nick Pope error in judgment, failing to claim a ball, left Callum Wilson with an opportunity to create his own fine finish. And Eddie Howe, sorry, Saudi Howe, went berserk as well he might at full time, took a lap of celebrating your honour around the field as if they just locked up a Champions League place, God bless, as opposed to delivering a first win in 15 games, a first league win in 195 long days. And you can't begrudge how relief, taking a high-pressure job under great scrutiny, a false start of COVID, knowing the win came just in the nick of time. His Newcastle are off the bottom, hilariously, now just six points off 11th place, but with a tough run. Away at Leicester, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, then Everton. So just three points there. Wow. Wow. Okay. Aston Villa 2, Leicester 1, a Liverpool icon, takes on his former colleague. And it's the icon who comes out on the losing end. The Brodgers mob (laughs) went ahead in the 14th minute when Harvey Barnes coolly passed one past Emmy Martinez. But a pair of Esri concert goals and a late physics-defying save from Martinez gives Steven Gerrard his third win in four games in charge. He's got the Birmingham outfit up to 10th, Rog. We witnessed the closest the Premier League may ever get to an old firm clash. The last time these two managers met, Stevie G's Rangers topped his former Liverpool manager, Brendan Rodgers, super hoop Celtic 1-0. And it proved to be a repeat of the outcome as Leicester did uh, really a greatest hit of their 2021-22 season of drop-off disappointment. Couldn't hold on to a fine Harvey Bynes provided lead, conceded from set pieces, looked over-reliant on Jamie Vardy, was only fit enough here to be substitute and have no gear to step up once their opponent has grabbed control of the game. Brodge is flailing a double from centre-back Esri Concert, who feasted on his first goals in 30 months, gives Stevie G three wins out of four at Aston Villa, Davo. I mean, what, what do you make of this this remarkable start? Yeah, that's the word I used earlier. They've, he's just put a lot of energy into the team. 
um, plus organization. I mean, he's got the defense flying. Um, you know, it was Mings with a goal, you know, I think last week to, to this time it was Konza with a goal, Matty Cash with a great performance. He sort of rehabilitated Ashley Young, Ashley Yang uh, at the back. Um, you know, throughout the entire team, you know, McGinn playing like oh, with the mid- fire. midfield so assertive. Yeah. Midfield so bloody assertive. Yeah. And up front, all of that pace. Um, thought Jacob Ramsey, very unlucky to have a goal disallowed in this one by VAR. Didn't understand that decision at all. Um, so, yeah, overall, just very impressive uh, what he's doing. And on the Leicester side, just how they are missing Yuri Tillman's Rog. Um, it's <sighs> unbelievable. You know, when I, I've interviewed Stevie G many, many times, first time I interviewed him was at Anfield and I read him um, a paragraph from his autobiography, which he'd written really early in his career. And he had this great line about when the opponent has the ball, I just want to destroy them. It makes me physically sick, angry. And I read it to him and he didn't even blink. He just said, yeah. And that's how his, his Aston Villa are now playing. He's clearly, I believe, just given John McGinn the uh, first edition of Stevie G's autobiography because at midfield, that's the biggest difference between Stevie G's Villa, Dean Smith's Aston Villa. Yes, they look a little bit open at the back of the first half. They improve uh, in the second. God love you, wild man John McGinn. But they will be salivating at the opportunity to go to Anfield for Stevie G to be welcomed by the cop and then soundly thrash next weekend. Yeah, we will see. Leads to Brentford 2, a cracking game of football at Ellen Road. And in the 95th minute, with the Bees leading 2-1, it was that man, Patrick Bamford, who had come on as a sub to make his first appearance since being injured in mid-September. He steered home some box slop. I think it came off his knee to rescue a point for Bielsa's boys. Brentford, now in 12th place, leads in 16th. Yeah, I mean, amazing. We've talked about Leeds' injuries, been the story of their season. They lost both Liam Cooper and Calvin Phillips in this one. But my God, Patrick Bamford scoring off his knee with Ailing also just back. Um, God, it was beautiful to see. Q sports bra scenes. Leeds now face a brutal gauntlet. Chelsea City, Arsenal, Liverpool. They needed that result. And an interesting piece of news, which is um, filtering around the investment arm of the San Francisco 49ers has a deal in place to buy Leeds United for more than $530 million by January 2024, which is amazing. Kaepernick to Leeds, David. Southampton won. Brighton won a point apiece in this South Coast clash. It was the Saints who struck first through a silky piece of slough-born Albanian skill from Armando Broja. But with almost the last kick of the ball, Brighton, who were down to 10 men after Leandro Trossard went off injured, they'd already used all their subs. They found a way through via Neil Mope. He rescued a late draw for the goals for the second time in three days. Brighton in ninth place, Southampton in 15th. Yeah, Brighton, the bearded Graham, Potter, Hove, Albion. One of the most resilient teams in British football. Southampton, actually, the team most willing to relinquish a lead. So perhaps it was no surprise when Neil Mope, who after all, had scored an 89th minute equaliser at West Ham midweek, then did it again with a 98th minute equaliser in this one. I do love Graham Potter. He dispenses life truths that transcend football in every interview he ever gives. A lovely one in The Guardian this week where he said, football is a lot like life. Sometimes you can't see the next good thing and something comes and lifts you up. And just when you think you've got it sorted, 
There's a kick in the backside coming your way. God bless you, Graham Potter. Uh, Roger, we are podding before Everton versus Arsenal this evening, but there is some yes, news for a out of your club we should discuss. Late last night, the club issued a statement that Marcel Brands is uh... out as director of football after it had been widely rumoured across the press. What is the story, Morning Glory? Yes, something had to give for this team in free fall on the field since I recommended Tommy Vito become a blue. It, it has just been heart of darkness. We are a hot mess in almost every facet right now. There was actually a rumour at the end of the week that the board were in emergency meeting mode. And I will say the Bennett family WhatsApp group became incoming, <laughs> full of my brother. My brother tweets every single, you know, you know, there's like a thousand fake news sites that just fabricate news. My brother treats them as like seriously as he does the BBC. <laughs> uh, and so it's all like, Benitez about to get the boot, emergency board meeting, Rafa gone. I mean, just like my poor daughter is just like absolutely wrecked emotionally by my brother just pounding away. Things like footballnewsnewz.com is what he tweets us. Um, instead, it was director of football, Marcel Brands, who was flung through the moon door, even though he was really director of football, often in name only, regularly overridden by the owner, Moshiri, who runs the club. He's got a shadow cabinet of his mates in London and he's built this carefully recruited football staff in Liverpool, but he rarely listens to them. And I think the core of the club's problem is that we've got an owner who is willing to put in a ton of money, half a billion, but he's having a bit of a laugh while doing so. Everton are kind of like his hobby. He's like a poor man's Jerry Jones. You know, Brands has brought in, when he's left on his own, he brings in Beg Godfrey, Lucas Dinier, Decore. Um, but Rafa Benitez loves to handle transfers himself will play politics to get that control i think rafa really undermined him brands had just signed a three-year extension in april Amazing. which shows what what a hot mess of a club we are we we've got to now slash out of control wages get financial fair play under control while going backwards on the field not win a game since beating norwich september 25th and to cap it all this afternoon, against Arsenal, Everton fan groups will walk out Davo during the 27th minute of the game to mark 27 long, agonising years since we lost win the trophy. I want to know, how much of a mess do we seem from the outside to you, Davo? Because I, I am filled with fear. Yeah, it does seem like a mess. Um, God, without that amazing start to the season, Roger, I mean, where would Everton be? Um, it feels like... You know, in some ways, I'm not saying it's a cop-out to get rid of brands, but it, it's almost a little face-saving for the club. You know, they're, they're firing the most anonymous uh, yeah. member of their team. It's yeah. not exactly the brand face, uh, excuse the pun, of Everton. They get rid of him. Obviously, this is political. Tim Howard made this point on the broadcast that this is going to give more control um, to Rafa Benitez. I think there are a lot of fans, clearly, who want Benitez out of the club as well. But Everton are going to have to turn it around quickly, or that's going to be the next. Uh, that's going to be the next inevitable uh, result. How do you rebound from your heaviest home defeat in a derby for thirty-nine years, and going eight matches without a win by getting slapped, slapped by Arsenal in the Battle of Bastards this afternoon? I am filled with dread, listeners. But I did love this at a Winehouse one tweet. Still surprises a rivalry between Liverpool and Everton fans when they're united by their mutual dislike of Everton. <laughs> <laughs> Rog, can we get one final twist with that exclamation point in a bottle, Jägermeister, to bring us home? 
There you go. I raise my shot of Jägermeister, that bolt of human emotion, in a shot glass to the memory of Edward Shames, the last surviving officer of Easy mm. Company, subject to Band of Brothers, our beloved Band of Brothers. He passed away, aged 99 last week. And I love this story from Shames' obituary that when Germany surrendered, Ed and his men entered Hitler's eagle's nest where Shames managed to get his hands on a few bottles of cognac marked with a label that indicated they were for Führer's use only. Later, he would use that cognac to toast his oldest son's bar mitzvah. And I found this so profoundly moving and deeply beautiful. A reminder in this time of chaos and fear of what this nation truly stands for. Service, sacrifice, everyday heroism, global leadership and glory. But shame's passing also a reminder of something haunting that the youngest who served in the Second World War are now in their late 90s. And as years pass and these men are no longer alive to tell their stories, it's crucial their narrative does not fade in our national consciousness. I raise this shot to shame's memory, Dave, and to the memory of all who served. Watch Band of Brothers now, if you can, with your family of all ages, all ages, multi-generation. Let's engage and tell this story. Courage. Absolutely. And listen to your companion podcast, Rog. Fantastic job. Here, 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 here. Okay. You can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies. Uh, We are on Facebook, the Men in Blazers. And you can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Rog. War pig! Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweet. Abricado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. I'm off to get myself an Ed Hot Bernardo with a side of Raz. <laughs> hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or... You can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I would, in, in the plumber days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.